Church family, I'm really excited to continue our study of the biblical book of Philippians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was imprisoned, probably under house arrest in Rome. And he wrote this letter to his friends in Philippi to encourage their faith and to thank them for the help that they have given to him. As I've been studying the the verses we're going to read today, this week, it has been so inspiring and encouraging and challenging to me because this is a text in which Paul finds himself in a situation that from pretty much any human perspective, we would just say he was in a horrible situation. His circumstances were terrible. Paul was imprisoned. He was in chains. And he had been falsely accused and wrongly imprisoned. So he's suffering an injustice. Not only that, next week, Chauncey's going to preach to us on some verses that make it clear that Paul thinks there's a good chance he's going to die. He may get out or he may be executed wrongly. So he's in very uncomfortable, painful, lonely circumstances with a possible unjust execution looming in his near future. And yet, as we're going to see today, Paul is just overflowing with joy and enthusiasm. He's got an incredibly good attitude. And the reason, as we'll see, is that Paul's focus is just so riveted on Jesus. Paul is thinking Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all day. And because he's thinking about Jesus, he's thinking, I'm going to be with Christ forever. I'm going to enjoy God forever. And while I'm on this earth, I have a short period of time during which I get to participate with Jesus in his work of sharing the gospel with people all over the world so that people can be reconciled to God, forgiven of their sins, and come to share in the joy of God. And so Paul's saying, my whole perspective is focused on the gospel. My number one priority in life is to join Jesus in his work of getting the gospel to all people. And so Paul's encouraged. He's excited. He's happy right now. Because even in the midst of his imprisonment, God is at work through his painful circumstances to get the gospel out into the world. Now, I find this challenging and inspiring and encouraging because right now uh, the whole world is in a situation that is hard. A lot of us may feel like we're under house arrest. We can't leave our homes and go do all the fun things we normally like to do. Our economy is reeling. Um, Lots of people are sick. There's just a lot of really horrible circumstances going on in the world. And yet, during this time, the gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading. Thousands of people are coming to know Christ right now during this moment of world history. And so we've spent a lot of time as a church lamenting, as we ought to, the pain of these circumstances that we're in. And yet today, Paul is saying we can still have joy and we can still have profound purpose because lots of events may have been canceled, But as my friend Paul Wooster recently wrote about this, the mission is not canceled. The gospel is not canceled. And the mission of God can still give us joy and purpose even during these times we're living in. So with that in mind, let's read the verses together. Please join me in giving your attention to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is the word of God. So Paul is writing this letter to his friends. They're worried about them. And he starts by saying, I want to encourage you. I want you to know, brothers, that I'm feeling great. I've got joy. I'm enthusiastic right now. And the reason he has joy is made clear in verse 12. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul has joy. Paul has purpose in difficult times because his focus is on Jesus and his number one priority is to advance the gospel. Let's talk about that phrase. What does it mean to advance the gospel? Well, first, the word gospel is a word that just means good news, a good message. But when Paul uses this word, he's talking about a very specific piece of good news, namely the message that God is at work in the world through Jesus to save the world. So when Paul tells the good news, he tells the story that Jesus, the Son of God, came and lived in the world as one of us. God entered world history in a new way through the person of Jesus. Jesus lived a life of perfect wisdom and love in the power of God's Spirit. And then he died on the cross for the sins of the world, bearing the guilt and shame of the world. After that, Jesus rose from the grave, and the resurrection of Jesus was God's way of jump-starting the renewal of all creation. After that, Jesus ascended into heaven where he sat down on a throne at the right hand of the Father as King and Lord over all creation. From that throne, Jesus sent out the Holy Spirit to draw people to himself so that now anybody in the world, including anybody watching this video, who simply trusts in Jesus... That The Bible says that our sins are forgiven. We're adopted into God's family. The Spirit of God comes to live inside of us to transform us from the inside out to make us more like Jesus. And we have the hope of life with Jesus forever in the new creation. And Jesus says that one day, the, the gospel says that one day Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to heal the wounds of the world and make all things new. That's the gospel. It's the good news of God's salvation by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I'm excited because God is working through my circumstances to help advance the gospel. In other words, while I'm in prison, this may look like a setback to you, but Paul is saying, I can see that God has a purpose for my pain. And in these circumstances, God is helping more and more and more and more people Hear the good news of Jesus so that they can know the forgiveness and the life and the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, we got to ask the question, how could that be? If Paul is such a great missionary and evangelist, he, everywhere he goes, he's been telling people about Jesus. It seems like locking Paul up in prison would be a great tragedy that would hinder the advance of the gospel. So Paul goes on to give us three reasons, three ways that the gospel is being advanced uh, through his imprisonment. 
Let me put the first of these on the screen. How is Paul's imprisonment being used by God to advance the gospel? First, Paul is able to share the gospel with the whole imperial guard. That's what verse 13 says. Let's read that verse one more time. Paul says, It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So, when when Paul refers to the whole imperial guard, he is probably talking about a group of soldiers, sometimes called the Praetorian Guard, who were like the most elite group of the Roman military. They were very highly paid, and they were basically like the emperor's personal bodyguard. So this was an elite group of soldiers. And if Paul is imprisoned in Rome, it's likely the case that some people from that Praetorian Guard have been assigned to keep watch over him. And so when when he says it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard that and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ, we can imagine some scenario like this. Some of these members of this elite military unit have been charged with guarding Paul, but Paul is not like most prisoners. First of all, Paul is joyful all the time. He's always singing praise to God. Second of all, there doesn't seem to be any threat in this man. He's not rebellious. He doesn't want to overthrow the government. Um, it's not clear why he's in prison. Third of all, he's he's brilliant. He's learned. And they're getting around him and they're trying to understand who is this guy. And he's telling him them, I'm here for Jesus. I'm here because I'm an eyewitness to the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. He appeared to me. I saw him with my own eyes. And I want you to know that if you'll trust in Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven of your sins. You can be adopted into the family of God. You can receive the Holy Spirit. You can have the hope of life forever with God and a new creation. You can become a participant in God's movement of sharing the gospel in the whole world and of renewing creation. And some of these soldiers are maybe starting to believe that gospel. They're certainly starting to talk about it. And word is spreading among this group that the, the Imperial Guard was probably about 10,000, somewhere between 9,000 and 15,000 soldiers. And so if, if the word is spreading among them and many of them are starting to believe in Christ, that's really significant because that's a large group of people and because they would have had access to lots of other people, maybe to the emperor himself, maybe to lots of other folks in the military. So it's extremely strategic that this group would hear the gospel and start spreading the gospel. And Paul is saying, sure, I'm locked up. But this is great. I never could have made a strategy to start a gospel movement, an evangelistic movement among the Praetorian Guard. But look how wonderful God is. They're like, they've got to come talk to me. They've got to come watch over me every day. And now God is working through me to get the gospel out. Now, this is an incredibly good attitude Paul has. He has joy because of his focus, because of his priority. For him, his life is all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. The second reason that Paul gives that the way that God is working um, through his hard circumstances to advance the gospel is this. Other Christians looking at Paul are inspired to share the gospel more boldly by the example of Paul's courageous witness to Christ. That's what verse 14 is all about. Let's read it again. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
So this early Christian community faced the constant threat of persecution. They knew that if they went around telling people Jesus is Lord, at any given moment, a Roman soldier might come knocking on their door and say, hey, you said there's a Lord and there's a king above Caesar. That's treason. And they might have their property confiscated. They might get imprisoned. They might be executed. And because of that, some of them were feeling discouraged. They wanted people to know the gospel, but they were afraid maybe it's not worth the risk. We've got to be extra careful, cautious, sneaky in the way that we share the gospel. But now their friend Paul is in jail and it hasn't slowed him down at all. He's encouraged. He's filled with joy. He's boldly, courageously telling the Roman soldiers all about Jesus. Here's the thing that we need to understand. In life, fear is contagious, but so is courage. If you want to encourage somebody, if you want to give somebody courage, often all you have to do is be an example of joyful courage. You stay focused on Christ. You be courageous in your pursuit of Jesus and of the mission of Christ. And other people, maybe who have been feeling a little bit afraid, they're going to see that and that courage can be contagious. So Paul says, I rejoice because the Praetorian Guard is hearing the gospel through me. I rejoice because many of my friends and brothers and sisters in the faith are being inspired to be courageous as they look at my example. And the third reason that Paul gives is pretty amazing. Paul is happy. He's excited because his rivals... We're going to talk a little bit more about who those people are. But he's got some rivals, some enemies, who are Christian teachers of of some kind, and yet they have sinful, selfish motives. And so Paul says, my rivals are sinfully motivated to preach the gospel by my imprisonment, but the gospel they're preaching is the true gospel. So I'm excited. Even though their motives are sinful, God's even using their sin to help get the gospel out. Now, to help us understand what Paul's talking about, let's look again at verses 15 through 18. Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So Paul is saying, there's two kinds of people talking about Jesus. Some of them are people of goodwill, people who are sincere, they're authentic. They love Jesus, they love their neighbors, and they want to share the gospel. But there's other people, they are... They've gotten into Christianity and they maybe have become leaders in ministry. They've maybe become pastors in churches, but their real motivation is selfish. They just want to be successful. They want to be well known. So they're in it for wrong motives. But then Paul says this, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So I've got friends. They love Jesus. They love me. And as they see me in chains, They're encouraged by my courage. They're inspired. And now their love for Jesus, their love for me, their love for people has motivated them to go share the gospel even more. But then he says the former, meaning the people with bad motives, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Now, we don't know exactly who these people were that Paul is talking about, his rivals. But the best we can tell is this. There was a group of Christians who, or at least professing Christians, who had become influential leaders in the Christian community, but they didn't like Paul. They were selfish. They were sinful. 
Listen, if you didn't already know this, you're hearing it now. The Bible emphasizes it repeatedly. There are lots of people who name the name of Jesus and preach the message of Jesus, but their hearts are not sincere. And that was already happening in the time of Paul. And they seem to be motivated by a competitiveness. They think we're smarter than Paul. We're more spiritual than Paul. We're better than Paul. They were jealous of the influence of Paul and his ministry. And so now apparently as Paul is imprisoned, they're taking this opportunity to sort of gloat and to rub it in. And their attitude seems to be, look, your imprisonment, Paul, is proof that God is not happy with you. God is disciplining you. But look how God is blessing our ministry. And, and Paul seems to be saying this is actually giving them an extra motivation to say we're going to go out and share the gospel more and more and build up our ministry, make our ministry really big so that when Paul hears about it, it'll like rub salt in his open wound and he will know that God is blessing us and not him. Now, everything about those motivations is sinful. God is not pleased with the hearts of these people and Paul isn't either. Paul longs for them to repent and to have the right heart motivation. And yet, listen to how great Paul's attitude is. Instead of saying, listen, these people may name the name of Jesus, but they're total hypocrites and God's going to get them. That, that's not what he says at all. What he says is, I'm encouraged because my friends are inspired to share the gospel. But I'm encouraged because even fake Christians who just want to hurt me are, are being motivated to share the gospel. But they're really telling people about Jesus and God is at work through them to save souls. Isn't that amazing? How do you get an attitude like this? Paul inspires me. I want to be more like Paul when I grow up. As I've been thinking about this text this week, I've been thinking, man, Holy Spirit, I want more of that. I want it for me and I want it for our church family. What we see in Paul is that when our mindset and our thoughts are totally focused on Jesus, we know we've got forever, literally forever, to enjoy the bliss of life with Christ in a perfect new creation. That's my destiny and your destiny. Not because we deserve it, but because in grace, God promises that future to everyone who trusts in Jesus. So we've got forever to enjoy God. Right now, we have a short period of time to participate with God in His work of helping more and more and more people know Jesus. And when we think like that, We've, we can have joy and we can have purpose. So as I've been reflecting on it, on this text this week, I feel that Paul is really challenging me and he's challenging us to examine our priorities and to examine our attitudes. Are we really focused on Jesus and on the gospel? I want to put some questions for self-reflection on the screen, screen right, right now. Here's some questions I would encourage all of us to ask ourselves. As we look at Paul's focus, we should ask ourselves, what is my focus in this season of my life? What am I focused on? And I've got some other questions to help us think about that. What do I daydream about? So when your thoughts wander, what do they wander to? Are you thinking about Jesus? Most people throughout most of the world and most of world history, day by day, are just trying to figure out how to make it through the day and to make it to the next day. And I don't want to judge anybody for that. If that's where you are, no judgment here. But there is an invitation. What if instead you daydreamed about Jesus? You daydreamed about living with Him forever. And you daydreamed about partnering with Him to help more people know Him. Some other questions. What do I fear? 
Right now, a lot of us have fears of getting sick or of our loved ones getting sick. I know I've felt those fears and anxieties. A lot of us have fear and anxiety related to economic uncertainty. How are we going to pay the bills? What's going to happen to our income? I can relate to that for sure. And again, I don't want anybody to waste time feeling guilty if, if you've been feeling those things. But I do want to remind us that if you've trusted in Jesus, your Father promises to take care of you. He promises to meet your needs. And He promises uh, that even if you get sick, even if you die, He's able to heal you. But if, he, if you die, you get to go to heaven. So you don't have to fear death. Here's another question. What do I long for? What do I desire? Some of us are longing for comfort. We're longing for a return to normalcy. Some of us are longing uh, to find that perfect wife or husband. Some of us are longing for relief from suffering that we're going through. And I want you to know Jesus has compassion for you um, and, and He cares for you no matter what you're longing for. But Paul's inspiring me to think, what if I spent more time desiring the kingdom of God, focusing on the bigger things, the things of God? We can ask ourselves, what scripts repeatedly run through my head? Are there certain thoughts, certain ideas, phrases, words, images that go through your head over and over throughout the day? That tells you a lot about your focus. And, and again, all of this is really just trying to help us get at this question. What are my highest priorities in life? Now, I, I said a second ago, Paul is challenging me to think about my attitude. The, the great navigator legend, Gene War, years ago gave a great sermon on the topic of the attitude. As Christians, what should our attitude be? And in that talk, that sermon, Gene War defined the attitude, an, an attitude like this. He says, an attitude is an emotional response to a habitual pattern of thinking. An attitude is an emotional response to a habitual pattern of thinking. Now, some of us um, have been struggling a lot with destructive emotions. We're feeling dominated by anger or anxiety or other things like that. And we feel like our emotions are out of control. Often our emotional responses are involuntary. But what this definition of an attitude reminds us is that the emotions may happen like involuntary responses, but often those emotions are not so much responding to a situation as they are responding to a habitual pattern of thinking. And we can actually have some control. We can have influence over our pattern of thinking. Now, psychologists, therapists, counselors, they know this. You can go talk to Morgan Curry, and she'll explain to you cognitive restructuring. When you change your thought patterns, you change your emotions, you change your behaviors, you change your whole life. But the Bible talks about this. This is, I think, what Paul's talking about in Romans 12, too, when he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, as we focus on Jesus, as we meditate on the scriptures, as we believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit works in us and by grace transforms our pattern of thinking, our attitude changes, our lifestyle changes as a result. Now, I want to briefly show you one of the major repeated things that happens in the book of Philippians. In this letter, Paul is inspiring us and challenging us to work on our attitudes intentionally. Sometimes he does this, like in today's text, just by setting an example of a Christ-centered attitude. 
Other times, he specifically exhorts people. Let me put a few examples on your screen. I don't want to steal Chauncey's thunder. Next week, he's going to be able to talk to us about this amazing verse, Philippians 1.21. But let me briefly say, in a few verses, Paul's going to say, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What he means is, as long as I'm alive on this earth, every day is going to be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm going to pray to Jesus. I'm going to fellowship with Jesus. And I'm going to tell the world about Jesus. And when I die, Jesus is going to bring me into his presence where I'll get to enjoy him more than ever before. And because that's Paul's thought process, he has joy. This inspires me. This challenges me to, to think like Paul. A little bit later in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he's going to say this to the Philippians and to us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he's going to go on to describe the humility and the self-giving love of Jesus. But what he's saying here in Philippians 2.5 is, let your attitude, let your mindset be transformed by the gospel so that the, the mindset, the mind of Jesus lives in you. Then in chapter 4, there's these great verses. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So he's calling us to a habit of celebrating the gospel, celebrating God's goodness. He goes on to say, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he says, don't let anxiety dominate you. Earlier in chapter 2, he had said, do everything without complaining and arguing. So he's saying, don't be a grumbly, complainy people. Don't be overwhelmed by your anxiety. This challenges us, friends. All of us experience fear and anxiety as part of being human. And there's, there's lots of causes of that. We can't necessarily make our anxieties all go away, but we have a choice. What do we do with them? And if what we do is complain, grumble, argue then we're not walking in spiritual maturity. You cannot be both spiritually mature and a person who is habitually grumbly and complaining. It doesn't work. Instead, what we do is let our requests be made known to God. In other words, take our anxieties to God in prayer. And then Paul says, the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So God will give you peace of mind. But this takes works and, and work, and the work is described in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He's telling us to be disciplined in our thought life. Now, we could go on and on. There's a lot more of this in Philippians, but I'm just trying to help you see it's one of Paul's goals in this book to help us reprogram our patterns of thinking in a way that will change our hearts and our emotions so that we will begin to overflow with joy and courage and love that comes from believing the gospel. Now, we got to ask the question, how do you do that? And I want to encourage everybody, if you're watching this video, you're already working on it because you've made the decision, even in the midst of a pandemic, to use the internet as a tool to tune into church community, to fellowship with other Christians, to listen to a sermon and meditate on God's Word. That's great. And there's lots of other ways that you can build into your life habits of prayer and scripture meditation that can really transform your thoughts 
in a way that transforms your, your heart, your emotions, your attitude. I'm going to put on the screen an illustration. Since I quoted the great navigator Gene War, I'm going to put a navigator illustration on your screen. And This is sometimes called the word hand. And it's basically saying, here's daily habits that you can build into your life to help you um, transform your attitude. You can hear God's word. You're doing that right now. You can also read the Bible. Read God's word. You can study the scriptures. You can memorize scriptures. And as you're doing all those things, you want to be meditating, which is thinking deeply about the scriptures. Now, I wish I had time right now to to train you in practical ways you could do all all of those things. I don't have time to do that in this short video right now. Um, But I would love to talk to you one-on-one. I would love to point you to more resources. And there's actually dozens of people in our church who have daily habits of studying the scriptures, reading the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures. And any one of us would love to talk to you about how you can build into your life habits of uh, reading God's Word, meditating on God's Word, and praying that can reprogram your thinking. Um, But but to end today, I want to put one more question on your screen. And here, I think, is the, the big question that our text from Philippians is leading us to ask. How can I participate with Jesus in His work of advancing the gospel for the joy of all peoples? I want to ask everybody watching this video right now, if you haven't trusted in Christ, right now, trust in Christ. And then everybody, whether you trusted in Christ right now or years ago, pray that the Holy Spirit will help you to think about this question. How can I participate with Jesus and His work of advancing the gospel for the joy of all peoples? Friends, that is what life is about. And During this pandemic season, the mission isn't canceled. The opportunities haven't gone away. How we do this will change in different seasons of our life. But the call to participate with Jesus in bringing the hope of the gospel to all people doesn't go away. And if you will make this question a question that you bring to God every day, I promise you the Holy Spirit will begin to help you to see the world in new ways that can give you an exciting sense of purpose in your life that you get to join Jesus in sharing his good news with the world. Let me say a prayer for you as we finish today. Our Father in heaven, I'm so thankful for the Christ Community Church family, and I'm thankful for everybody who's tuning in on Facebook or YouTube to watch this video. I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us all to believe the gospel, to be transformed by the gospel, to make the gospel our number one priority in life, And would you use us to help many, many, many people know the love of Jesus? It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.